Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Red Sox Beat Podcast presented by CLNS Media. That's your leading online audio and video provider for Major League Baseball and the Boston Red Sox. I'm the host, Chris Cotillo, Red Sox Beat writer for Mass Live. We have, as we often do on the show, my colleague from Mass Live, Chris Smith, who is taking a uh, a week off to take care of his baby this week, but is kind enough to join us for, for about a half an hour Red Sox talk so we can wrap up uh, what we both experienced last week. At the GM meetings in Scottsdale, look ahead to a kind of an important date on the calendar this week and then talk about, obviously, the uh, the Astro scandal, the sign-stealing scandal, and how that might impact the Red Sox. Chris, how was day one of uh, Daddy Daycare today? Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, this is vacation. This is your vacation when you get old, Cotillo. So, you know, make the most of your vacations, you know, before you turn 35, because this is what it is. Changing diapers, feeding babies, crying babies, dancing in front of them or, you know, uh, singing at the top of the, the top of your lungs to get her to stop crying, which, you know, that's basically how I do it. You have to sing at the top of her lungs. She has uh, play keys. So you have to shake them really hard. And, uh, yeah, so that's basically how you uh, get her to stop crying. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a good day. So, uh, basically my, my goal this week is to determine like how I can get work done. This is why I took this week off, how I can get work done having her during the day while Christie's at work Right. and, you know, so I can go into next week and actually have a productive week and mm-hmm. first day, not productive, but I'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, that is it. It's not productive because you're on vacation. It's supposed to not be productive. But the fact that you're doing this, at least you can you can go to bed tonight saying, I did the Red Sox beat podcast with Catillo, and therefore I had a su- successful day. You and I were both in Arizona for the GM meetings last week. It was, um, I would say, a bit m- even more boring than I could have uh, thought just based on, you know, I went to the GM meetings last year. You've been before. Obviously, it's not the winter meetings in terms of, the amount of moves that happened, I think there was only a couple. You know, we saw Will Smith sign with the Braves there toward uh, on that final day. I was there on thir- Thursday. He gets a deal, um, three years, $39 million. You know, with that kind of thing, it's not even like the Red Sox are even in on these big free agents. So these kind of things just happen, and you see them, and, you know, and a reliever goes from one NL team to another. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't affect the Red Sox, or it doesn't seem to. Um, but, you know, we did get a lot of time to talk to a lot of the GMs. I know we both talked to a lot of them, including the new chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox, Heim Bloom. Uh, what were your impressions of kind of the first few days of, of covering uh, Mr. Bloom on the beat? 
I think he was very vague in a lot of his answers on how they're going to improve the team. I mean, when you talk to Dombrowski, even though he didn't give, um, you know, in-depth information, he didn't tell you about, you know, oh, I'm going to, if you ask him about, are you going to, you know, try to get an extension going with your, you know, pending free agents or things like that. He would never give you, you know, an exact answer. But at the beginning of each offseason, he always did lay out what he needed. You know, the first offseason there, he was, you know, extremely specific in saying, I'm going to get a reliever, I'm going to get a starting pitcher, I'm going to get a fourth outfielder, and I'm going to get a, uh, a, a closer and a reliever. And he did all four of those things. And basically, when you, you know, listen to Haim Bloom, um, it was very vague. But I think that that's where he's at, is that he can improve the, the team in any area. Um, he hasn't ruled out anything. And he's not just going into this offseason saying, okay, the owners told me to cut payroll to get under 208. And, you know, we need a starting, we need a fifth starter. We need, you know, this and that and that. He's basically saying that the Red Sox, um, you know, you know, maybe they don't need a fifth starter. Um, You know, maybe they can improve in this. What, you know, or, you know, maybe they'll, you know, make a trade that will bring in a, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have any specifics right now. He just wants to, you know, improve the team with how things kind of unfold. And hopefully uh, during those, you know, general meetings, hopefully from the Red Sox sake, uh, he kind of laid the groundwork to get some of that figured out, uh, you know, in the trade market and the free agent market. Yeah, no. And obviously, you know, I think there's two things that went into that and we talked about, you know, him, number one, and this is this is a theme of something I hope to write this week or next. He's a very abstract thinker. He doesn't think in the, the you know, see see the whole, fill the whole type of deal um, as, as previous guys have in that front office and front office across baseball. And two, I think it's just still in the information gathering uh, time for him where he's, you know, learning about the front office. He's really trying to, you know, figure out uh, exactly who he has in terms of staff, trying to figure out who he has in terms of the roster. And, um at this point, you know, he's, he's being intentionally vague. And I think obviously conversations are going to have to start happening with teams and agents as he starts getting into the soft season. The winter meetings are about three weeks away. Um, but at this point, they don't seem specifically close to anything big. Um, and he's just looking at this. OK, I'm coming in. If the right opportunity pre- presents itself where I think we can get better, I'm going to do it. And then we'll see where the chips fall. After that, you know, if we have a surplus here, maybe we'll deal from it. If we have a need here later in the offseason, there are at a, at times, he said, we're going to need to know who's throwing the ball every fifth day or who's playing second base, stuff like that. But at this point, he seems uh, seems like he's he's far away from that. Yeah, and I think that, you know, talking to some other general managers about him and, you know, what he's about, um, you know, there, there's a general consensus kind of that this could be a scary thing because, you know, you've got – and we've seen it before with Andrew Friedman going from a small market to a big market. Um, these guys bring, you know, there, there's a lot of cases now where guys, you know, are groomed in small markets and then they go to big markets and they bring their small market principles. I mean, I even heard an example of how Thiel was like that, you know, back in the day where he started out in, you know, San Diego and he brought with him, you know, that ability, some of the small market principles to the Red Sox, but then had the, you know, the bigger pocketbook to, uh, or the bigger, wa- bigger wallet, I should say, to, you know, make, you know, to, to, um, 
expand on those small market principles and, you know, go after the guy when you really want him. It's funny because Andrew Friedman really hasn't, you know, signed any huge long-term contracts. Um, you know, he obviously signed Joe Kelly to a three-year deal last year, but it's not like he's signed any extensive contracts with the Dodgers since he came from the race to the, you know, since he went from the race to the Dodgers. Uh, so it should be interesting how, you know, once after this year, or even if he cuts payroll this year, how he divvies out, like, you know, how he, what's his kind of, um, you know, uh, what's kind of his theory on, on big contracts. And, um, you know, obviously there's some big contracts that are in store, you know, with, with Mookie Betts, whether they extend them, um, if they have the ability to do that, or if they, you know, re-sign them in free agency and then, Obviously, Raphael Devers, um, there's a possibility that they could, you know, extend him. So um, it should be interesting. As well as Eduardo Rodriguez, too. Yeah. And and Andrew Friedman said he was like, it's not like I, you know, it's it's not like I have avoided doing those big long term deals. Sometimes they just didn't work out. But Mm -hmm. this is how the way this is the way it's been. You know, the longest term deals have been whatever, three, four years instead of eight to 10 to 12 and those are the ones that have really hurt teams yep. you know in major league baseball andrew friedman you know a couple of deals that come to mind justin turner i think that was four for 64 kenley jansen got i think a five-year deal and they were trying to get zach granke back on a five or six-year deal before he ultimately decided to go to arizona so uh, a lot of times when andrew friedman was looking at those guys it was guys he was trying to re-sign i guess in all three of those cases and um they did sign AJ Pollock, brought him in uh, before last off se- before last season. Forget the exact terms on that, but that was a longer deal. Uh, so there are some deals that they have signed, uh, but but nothing you know on the in the way of an eight, nine, ten year deal. Uh, I think you know interestingly from the meetings we obviously hear about people raving about Heim Bloom throughout the game. Other GMs told. And other GMs were absolutely bombarded by all of us asking for some information about this guy, whether it was Friedman or Eric Neander, who we worked with in Tampa, who was a great quote. I really enjoyed talking to him, as I think we all did, to Jerry Topoto, who had dealt with him a lot, to Theo Epstein, who had known him, you know, both the Yale graduates who worked their way up from interns to eventually running the Red Sox. So, you know, a lot of high praise from a lot of people around baseball about Haim. And uh, I think that was that was cool to hear and really get some perspective, at least, um, on him. Uh, Another story that broke. Over the week in uh, Arizona, uh, a smaller one, kind of tangentially related to the Red Sox, is Ben Charrington takes over as the new general manager of the Pirates. Uh, interestingly, uh, he has not taken a job at a top front office role since leaving the Red Sox when Dave Dombrowski was hired in 2016. Carrington now comes, goes in and is, is tasked with fixing the mess that is the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's officially announced today as the new general manager after 12 years of Neil Huntington in that role. So obviously I, I've only been on the beat for about a year. I only covered Dombrowski and now Bloom. But Chris Smith had some experience and, and knows Charrington and covered him. So what do you think of this hire? And do you think um, he's a guy who will be successful in Pittsburgh? Yeah, so I think that he, you know, it, it depends on what their ownership you know, will give him in terms of resources because, you know, they've been notorious for um, presumed tanking and, you know, not, you know, just making money and not, you know, giving their GM, which was, you know, Neil Huntington, the ability to, uh, you know, go out there and actually win. 
and you know Neil did a a good job. It's funny that he he was one of um, you know somebody that Ben Sherrington actually knew very well, and right. or does know very well. And you know he was able to build you know teams, on, you know not from spending, but you know developing the farm system there. And you know you look across the the league and you know what what their rotations you know some of the guys that have been out of there I mean Garrett Cole and uh, who's the guy from Tampa why am I blanking on his name Chris Archer he, uh, no 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 the guy that they traded for Chris Archer oh Glass now yeah and so you know he he developed talent but you know it, it's tricky because you know then they're not going to get to pay that talent they have to trade it so. Um, you know, it should be interesting to see what, you know, how Ben Sherrington does in terms of, you know, because their ownership isn't, uh, it, you know, as, as Bohr said, if you go to the zoo and uh, six of the beers are uh, sleeping, then you can't really enjoy the zoo. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, one of those beers that's sleeping is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, Always, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, but I think what what. Ben Sherrington was the most interesting part of him in, you know, the Red Sox organization was his reluctance to make that big trade, um, you know, to, to get that player to, to win in 2014, 2015, you know, in the first couple of months when they were really struggling. I remember sitting in 2015 or yeah, in 2015 and um, we were in Oakland and, you know, Ben Sherrington, um, you know, was very reluctant. Uh, you know, he, he basically was saying the same thing that he had said in 2014, you know, that the, the certain guys have track records and that's what in, you know, I remember him saying that in the first month, our uh, first two months of 2014 about Hanley Ramirez and, you know, Pablo Sandoval, you know, mm-hmm. he was talking about how they had track records and, you know, we'll wait this out type of thing and, and everything will come together. And, you know, his reluctance to trade guys like Henry Owens and Blake Swihart, you know, and there was a Cole Hamill's deal in there and, you know, that would have involved Henry Owens and he didn't pull the trigger on that. And right. so, um, but I think that, you know, from talking to people and um, actually one of our fellow beat writers, it, it told me this, that he heard that, you know, there's so many more resources now, Um you know, in the minor leagues where they got the spin rate, mm-hmm. they can, you know, if, that Henry Owens would have been traded if they had the resources that they have now, yeah. um, you know, at the time. And so, um, you know, maybe that now that he has the ability, you know, some of those extra things, he will be more, um, you know, he will make the trade. However, it's a great situation for him because, you know, he likes his guys. He likes his homegrown players. He doesn't like to trade them. And that's what you need to do in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think it's a good hire. And, and you know, it could be become more related to the Red Sox if he decides he wants to bring someone from the Red Sox front office. Uh, uh, Eddie Romero's name was in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette as a potential fit. I think there is a feeling that Eddie felt like he was passed over for the GM role. I think that was felt by a lot of people or the chief baseball officer role. And then ultimately the GM role that went to Brian O'Halloran. So would not be surprised if the Red Sox at least granted him permission to speak to the Pirates and then uh, something could happen. Interestingly, it would have to be a lateral move for Eddie Romero because he, uh, Charrington got the GM role, not the president of baseball operations title. Um, And so therefore uh, it would not be technically a promotion, I don't believe. 
obviously, uh, when we look back at this, this GM meetings, we look back at, I guess, November 2019 in baseball, what we will all remember is this big Astros cheating scandal um, that has all come out, I guess, in the middle of the week last week. Still tr- things trickling out now from over the weekend from uh, a lot of really good reporters doing really good work. Um, I have to give credit to, I believe, the first guest I ever had on this program, Evan Drellick, who is now working for The Athletic, formerly unemployed Evan Drellick, along with his colleague Ken Rosenthal, who broke the original story last week getting Mike Fires and, and three other sources uh, to talk about how the Astros used electronic uh, sign-stealing, camera and center field, someone banging on a trash can. The exact uh, method of how they were able to do it to identify off-speed pitches is not necessarily known. A lot of theories are out there on Twitter. Uh, a lot of people are being interviewed. It's a fast-moving uh, investigation with Major League Baseball that – the Red Sox have been roped into and are cooperating with because obviously their manager, Alex Cora, was the bench coach for the Astros under A.J. Hinch in 2017 when this all happened. The current Red Sox bullpen coach, Craig Bjornson, has also been interviewed as part of the investigation. Sam Kennedy saying in an email last week they are cooperating and have spoken with MLB and have been contacted about it. The Mets are also involved because Carlos Beltran was apparently involved, their new manager. So there is a lot to unpack here. It's, it seems like a Houston-centric issue for now, but... Alex Cora is uh, one of the subjects of this investigation, uh, and at least as of this recording on Monday night, um, there is at least a small possibility that Alex Cora or the Red Sox could face uh, some sort of discipline from the league. I think, and I saw a few people write this today, it would be tough for the Red, for Major League Baseball excuse me, to punish the Red Sox for something that they you know, had no idea uh, what was going on. They were you know, stealing their signs with iPads or whatever, or Apple Watches or whatever they were doing back then um, instead. So they've already been punished for that. But, but if Alex Gore was seriously involved, could uh, stand a reason that he would be you know, suspended or fined or something like that. So um, kind of a wild, wild story that's going on, all being uncovered two years later, and uh, Red Sox find themselves at least a little bit involved. Yeah, I'd like to know, like, if I was Chris, I tweeted this out the other day. I'd like to just, you know, know from um, Alex Cora. I'd be like, you know, I'd say to Alex Cora, I'd be like, you know, I got shelled in game one of the ALDS in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. I got shelled in game one of the ALDS in 2017. And, you know, they hit three home runs off of this guy. It was seven, seven earned runs. Now, I know that, you know, Sale didn't have the best final two months, but. You know, it wasn't like this. I mean, he got absolutely, you know, blasted in that game. And it just didn't look like Chris Sale at all. And, um, you know, so if I was Chris Sale, I'd be like, you know, how much was it? You know, Alex Corris talked about how, like, you know, with and, and they also did it to Drew Pomerantz the next day. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they knocked him out in two innings. And it was just home run after home run against Pomerantz. I'm not saying Pomerantz was... But Pomerantz was good that year, you know. There mm-hmm. was a reason he was starting game two of that series. Right. And so I'd be interested if I was them, you know. Uh, Cora said that they laid off of all of his inside pitches and were just going for the outside pitches, and that was the game plan because that is what the Indians did to him in August, and they looked at just the Indians' game plan. And that's. But I'd say if I was Sale, you know, I'd be like, you know, I understand, you know, cheating goes on, but, you know, you're talking about a guy that his ERA in the postseason, you know, is is amplified quite a bit because of that one star, you know, and he's a future Hall of Fame type pitcher. So it's like, you know, I'd be interested to know. And, um, you know, so, I mean, but 
You know, it's interesting with Core. I mean, I think we knew that he, you know, we've known that he's a guy that is good at stealing signs, which is legal if you, unless you do it electronically. Um, you know, he's learned from the best at, you know, stealing signs. And I remember Lou Marloni, one of his first comments when the Red Sox hired Alex Cora was that he was a sign, you know, he was a good sign stealer. And so, um, and, and I actually asked Alex about it and he kind of like brushed it off. It was at, um, it was at the winter meetings that year and he kind of brushed it off. But, you know, we've known that Alex can steal signs, but I mean, this is kind of taking it to another level. And I think I was talking to somebody the other day about how like, you know, Mike Fires is, you know, was, was pretty, you know, teed off that, that this happened and he's been on a, you know, how many teams has Mike Fires been on? Yeah, four, four or five. And, you know, and so, like, this must have been the most egregious cheating electronically, you know, that he's ever seen of those four or five teams because, you know, I mean, so it looks like, well, you know, it's not an uncommon thing that people try to get a, even an advantage through electronics now, stealing signs. This took it to a whole nother level, and it was like, I think fires must have been like, you know, as a pitcher, I'm like offended by what they're doing, you know, to other pitchers because it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. And we, I don't know if you saw the, the tweet where there was a drum, um, I forget who it was, but, you know, there was a drum like, you know, for, for two bangs, um, you know, the changeup was coming. For one bang, the fastball was coming and you yep. could hear it. And it was like, holy manoli, you know, like this is really happening. And so, uh, you know, you always kind of know it's. I'm sure. It, it, I'm sure baseball players use that exact same holy manoli. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but you know, I mean, this is a this is a um, PG uh, podcast, right? right? Like I can't. Yeah, family swear, show. So. It's a family show. You know, family. Kaylee's gonna show. listen to this someday. Exactly. So you know, I wanted to make sure that I didn't use any bad language. So, right. um, yeah, you know, I think that Cora. Um, you know, I think that we all immediately thought when we saw Coach in that story that it was Cora, and it's not surprising probably to any of us that it came out the next day that it was Cora. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, when you look at the coaches on that staff, it said it was a coach who was going to help a struggling veteran player. Uh, the fact that, you know, Beltran's being interviewed, the fact that a lot of people are being interviewed, uh, and obviously the close relationship between Cora and Beltran that we uh, all know about. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The only uh, comments from the Red Sox, Cora acknowledged he has talked to Major League Baseball, refused further comments. Sam Kennedy said the Red Sox are uh, cooperating fully, and it seems like things are moving quickly. Uh, They're starting to talk to players, so we might have some decisions here in the upcoming days. Um, Some reports came out over the weekend about one of their assistant gems, Kevin Goldstein, um, who was there in Scottsdale, um, was... Uh, had an email out to scouts and he said, look for how they are going to l- look for any tells on signs. We're going to figure that out. Uh, and a couple other people implicated. So at this rate, with all these scandals in Houston, they're going to have zero front office by the, by the winter meetings. Um, I already had Brandon Taubman fired. And I think he's a very interesting piece of this as well, because uh, Brandon Taubman was fired by the organization. Uh, I wonder if he has an ax to grind for that. Not that it wasn't completely deserved that he was fired, but he maybe looked at that as a betrayal and thought, wow, how can I get them back? And um, another point that, that someone brought up to me, uh, Brandon Taubman is in the midst of his own MLB investigation into what happened because just because he was fired, that's not necessarily the end of the discipline for what happened in the clubhouse after the ALCS with a female reporter and his comments about Roberto Azuna. 
maybe Brandon Tubman thinks, you know, I want to avoid a long suspension or a hefty fine. Let me be as cooperative as possible when it comes to uh, the Astros and, and singling out other members of that organization. So a lot to unpack there. It seems like kind of the, uh, the thought of Houston as a model franchise has unraveled significantly in the last few weeks. Uh, losing the well, World if you Series. Asked, if you asked Evan Drellick, it that unraveled long ago. Right, but uh, that's true. <laughs> but, but I think in the minds in the minds of most, not just losing the World Series, but also uh, not just uh, the Tobin incident, but now this huge, huge cheating scandal that will dominate headlines, I'm sure, for the next few weeks, and uh, and 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 potentially longer. Hopefully not for everybody's sake. Uh, to wrap up, just a, a couple uh, smaller notes. Uh, Chris Smith is way better versed in the minor league side of things, in the minutia and the nitty gritty of the Red Sox minor leagues and their 40 man rosters and kind of all those behind the scenes things. Um, we have a deadline coming up on Wednesday at eight o'clock. The Red Sox have to protect any Rule Five eligible players that uh, they do not want plucked from by other teams in December at the winter meetings. Red Sox, I tweeted this out today after quickly looking at it, reading what Chris wrote in October. They have 34 guys in their 40-man roster. If you're doing the math at home, that is six open spots. I was able to even count five more guys from Trevor Kelly uh, to Ryan Weber, Josh Ostich, who they just acquired, Zue Lin, um, and uh, even you know Trevor Kelly, a bunch of these guys that could easily be DFA'd if they really wanted to add someone to the roster. Um, you think Sandy Leone's going to be non-tendered? So they have really, I mean, there's, there's no more than 30 guys locked into their spots in that roster right now, and that's generous. We haven't even mentioned Hector Velasquez, Brian Johnson, those types of guys. Um, the Red Sox have a lot of room to add those types of guys to their roster. Um, if they want to add six, they can do that, make those moves easily. I know, Chris, well, I'll let you talk about in a second who they're going to protect, but Bobby Dahlbeck, um, C.J. Chatham, Marcus Wilson, a few of those guys are candidates. Uh, I think you identified two sure things and, and three uh, probables, and, and that leaves even the Red Sox with some more room. And as I wrote today, uh, on Twitter at least, the Red Sox could make a trade by 8 o'clock if a team uh, had too many, too much room, or not enough room at the end. I'm trying to use the Christmas reference as we get hurtling toward the holiday season. The Red Sox actually did that last year. The Padres were facing a roster crunch. Uh, they decided... They wanted to deal a couple of guys. They traded uh, someone to the Cubs. I believe it was Rowan Wick. I think he had a good year, and they traded Colton Brewer to the Red Sox just because um, they didn't have enough room. The Red Sox were offering a prospect for Brewer. Uh, this type type of thing could happen again. This seems like something that could be very up, very much up Bloom's alley tomorrow to turn a couple of those spots into a couple of lottery tickets. Yeah, and I think that you know you're right on about. Um... You know, C.J. Chatham and Bobby Dahlbach and Marcus Walden, those are, I mean, Marcus Walden. Um, yeah, Marcus Wilson. Um, those are the top three that will, you know. Bizarro, I'm, I'm is that sure. the other one? Yeah, Bizarro is interesting. Um, this is a guy that, you know, is I, I know that they like a lot. Um, you know, talking to some guys, you know, that know the minor league system well in terms of, you know, talking to Red Sox front office people. Um Two people mentioned him to me, you know, earlier in the early in the year is somebody to mm -hmm. look out for that. He was impressive. He's got, you know, mid 90 mid 90s fastball, which has developed quite a bit, I think, because I think it was in the lower 90s when he first started out. And then, um, you know, he's got a really good curveball. So he's definitely somebody that they can add. Um, and, you know, there's other guy. I mean, there's um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So I bar was that one. Guy, 
Well, yeah. So Ibar is actually one that I don't think I included in that um, article. And I just feel like you have to make kind of – and a lot of people think he's going to be added. And I probably should have added him into the article because of that. But um, I think that you obviously have to make um, determinations that, okay, this, you know, this guy is still in single A. You know, what is he good enough to play on a on a Pittsburgh Pirates team for an entire year uh, next year? You know, even, yep. you know, and would somebody decide that he's got enough talent, it's, even if he was just, a, you know, coming out of high A? And, and they made that determination a couple of years ago with uh, with my favorite pitcher. Um, Danny Reyes. Yes, exactly. Who's now a DFA candidate. Yeah, he, you know, they may actually he pitched pretty well in the second half of the year. But anyway, there we go. Um, but, you know, they have to make that determination with Ibar. There's a couple others, you know, that are interesting candidates, too. I mean, you've got like Chad Delaguerra, who had some injuries last year. But if you look at his OPS and, you know, some of his stats, I mean, he was right on. And I mean, I think his, his OPS was over 900 with Pawtucket and he's an infielder he's interesting and you know he's been with them the past two spring trainings so that's a guy um you know so there's Kyle Hart is another guy Kyle Hart now I don't think he will make it but he's definitely an interesting person that they you know like his his numbers in double A and triple A I mean he's been pretty consistent I'd compare him to like a a Jalen Beeks type Uh, probably not as much Mm -hmm. talent as Jalen Beeks but you know, he's that type of guy that was a mid to late, you know, draft pick, who's just continued to get better and better and better as the levels go on. And we see so many guys that have so much talent, you know, and they get progressively worse as they go on in the minor leagues, and uh, they don't have the control and stuff. These guys, you know, they 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 can go out there and pitch seven innings and. Um, you know, have the command and, and they get better with each yeah. level. And so Kyle Hart's one of them. Pedro, I'm trying to blame. I'm trying to remember the last name. Castillos or something like that. Castellanos. Castellanos. I don't know why I couldn't think of his last name, but um, yeah, yeah he's another interesting guy. And, uh, you know, he's another guy. You got to determine like Ivar. It's like, well, you know, he's only played in high A or could, you know, is would a team want him? Uh, you know, for an entire year, a team like the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Pirates. So, and sometimes yeah, so... with, with these guys, as, as you know, and just to refresh uh, the audience on this, it's not necessarily about who you think are the, you know, most, or in the Red Sox case, if they have six spots or maybe more, maybe less. It's not who you think are the six most talented guys on that list you want to protect. It's about the six that you think have the greatest likelihood to actually be picked in the Rule 5 draft. The Red Sox last year, it was kind of a controversial decision, not really... Uh, but among those of us who cover the team, they decided not to protect Josh Ockamy. He was freely available to teams in the Rule 5 draft. He'll, he'll is another name that could be, you know, in the mix this year. And uh, he was not picked and uh, therefore remained in the organization. Everything, you know, just played out another year in the minors. But uh, the Red Sox do have some interesting players. They will need to protect by Wednesday at 8 o'clock. So that is... Well, uh, that well is, actually, the one uh, thing right. on Ockamy, I just want to point out on Ockamy. Um, he's a very good first half player. He's a bad, he just his stats go down in the second half. But the interesting thing with him is that his OPS was um, his OPS was still over 800 for the year. He still had a lot of home runs, and you have to think about it in terms of High and Bloom might have liked him from the outside. Like Tampa might have 
rated him more highly than the Red Sox, mm-hmm. you know, going, um, you know, in previous, like, you know, make, you know, I mean, they, I don't know what Tampa Bay situation was, but they might have had 40 men on their roster the last day of Rule 5 and didn't even pick in last year's Rule 5 drought. But he might have been, he might be somebody that Hyam Bloom really likes because of his ability to hit for power. And so he could get out of this year right. as opposed to last year. Yeah, totally different different bag. This is something that someone tweeted to me today. I don't know who this person is, um, but it seemed like they knew what they were talking about, so I'll just throw this out there. He said the Rays have a lot of people that they need to protect, and there's not going to be enough room. The Red Sox have plenty of spots, so maybe even Bloom's first trade could happen with his old employer. So lots to get to. The offseason is now in full swing. We'll have plenty more next time on Red Sox Beat. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.